Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we're here. The Knicks didn't really show up today, though. Uh, they lost 122 to 102 to the Indiana Pacers. Gavin, of all the games this season, based off what happened last night and the fact that they looked so good last night, I think this is already the one that I most want to forget. Yeah, I mean, tough competition, right? The Nuggets came a couple of days ago. wasn't all that great either. But we will. We're going to probably mostly focus big picture on on this one because this game was so miserable. So we will get into where the Knicks are left now and what they should do for the rest of the season. Maybe a little bit on the game right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to just thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day, whether it's on your favorite podcast platform or maybe you're checking us out on YouTube. Uh, if you haven't already, we would definitely appreciate if you could go on YouTube, drop us a little subscription, maybe like a couple videos. That helps us out a ton, even if you're not planning on watching them all. But at any rate, thank you all so much for always supporting us every day. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's like The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster, fresh out of football season and probably getting ready for some basketball, right? Yeah, hoop ball. Yeah, big high school hoop basketball time. tournament. Yeah. Hoop time. All right. But we got some less fun basketball to talk about tonight. The Knicks lose 122-102 to to the Indiana Pacers. That's probably a closer final score than they deserve credit for. Uh, Gavin, I understand that this was a, a second game of a back-to-back, that it was on the road, that apparently the Knicks didn't get to, uh, Indiana until like 4 a.m. after playing in San Antonio last night. Sure, okay, but I'm sure the Tibbs didn't exactly run them through a long walkthrough today or a practice or anything. I know it could be kind of weird having to go to sleep at like 5 in the morning or whatever and wake up at like 2 p.m., but... I feel like they probably had, you know, they should have been able to hopefully put out a little bit better of an effort in this game. And I just don't think a single player looked good in this game. I I literally can't point to a single guy and say, okay, well, this game was terrible, except so-and-so. I guess maybe you'd say Obi Toppin. Do we want to, like, briefly (laughs) dunk contest judge him on his in-game through-the-legs dunk in the second quarter that also (laughs) kind of, like, killed the Knicks for the rest of the game because I think they thought it was like an NBA street game breaker and the game was just going to be over right there. Yeah, we, we were we were saying um, if, if if Tibbs had any sense, he would have dropped on a gold chain, big rimmed glasses and said, see ya and taken his team and gone home right after that happened, declared victory preemptively. Um, because yeah, to your point, it was all it was all downhill uh, from that from the Knicks epic epic in game dunk Knicks moment. I will never forget. 
but uh, pretty much the only one from this game that I want to remember. Um, and and look, this is this is the struggle when we do a daily podcast, right? You never want to overreact. Like last night, I got like high on the Spurs game while also saying like, yeah, the Spurs the Spurs were eight and fifteen, so let's let's tamp it down. This is a team that lost four of their last five games, and then today we we see like. The, the worst version of that third game in four nights back to back your point, they get in late and, and, and they just like, I, I'm, I'm coming out of this game and thinking like, God, this team just doesn't have a lot of talent right now. Right. Like, like Randall has just been, I mean, he's like, like maybe this is just who he is. Right. Like he w- was had once in a lifetime season last year. It was incredible. It was amazing. We'll never forget it. Maybe that's not replicable. RJ Barrett. He had that five game stretch. Like he, he's been sick for the last month. It makes sense that he's still a little inconsistent. Like it would, it would be, Horrible to like rush to judgment on him. But even last night when he was playing great, like I noted this on the pod, he was still four for 12 from two point range. That is a real issue for him. Finishing is just a major, major problem to an extent that you don't really expect for a wing that's taken in the top three in the NBA draft. Traditionally, you take a wing in that spot, you expect to get someone who is very, very good around the rim. That has not been RJ so far in his career. I mean, even Emmanuel quickly, who I love to death, like he he has not been shooting the ball well recently. And like all this stuff, like you don't want to draw super long-term conclusions on because it's still like, it's all small sample size. But I I think it's, it's fair to say that like collectively, like it's fair to start asking some questions about like, all right, what is the ultimate trajectory for this next team? And are, are they going to be as like, like, even even putting aside our preseason expectations that they're a top five seed, are they going to be competitive for a playoff spot all year long? Like, I think that, like, I would still say yes, but I think it's a fair question to ask at this point. Yeah, I think, I still think that if I'm looking big picture, I don't really see the Knicks finishing any worse than around 500. Like, maybe a couple games below, I think they'll definitely be, I don't think that they could possibly, I mean, knock on wood, I guess. I, I don't think they could possibly you know, fall out of the 10 seed in the East. Uh, if, unless things go really, 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 really badly, which I guess, you know, I've, I've been talking about this, this current stretch of games that they're on and how important it is to the outlook of their overall season that they come out of this stretch at the exact halfway point of the season, a few games above 500, because things get a lot harder in the back half and they're going to really need to, you know, have a bit of a cushion there for that long West Coast trip. They have a couple stretches where they face like six, seven playoff teams in a row. Um, And and you don't want to go into that, you know, with an already bad record. But I think so. I'm still not quite sure where I'm at as far as where they're going to finish record wise yet. I do think it's like most likely that they end up in the play in at this point. But I am already starting to sort of pass judgment on the Fournier signing. I think that's the one thing. And maybe, you know, that's partly, you know, short-sighted, I guess. You know, it's sort of being a prisoner of the moment, like you just said. But I think that I'm I'm really starting to get to the point where I'm starting to question, like, okay, was this a bad signing? Like, did the Knicks just – I'm not even going to say that they saddled themselves with a – terrible contract but is Fournier going to be a lot less useful than the money that he's getting uh and it's it's feeling that way right now it just seems like if his shot isn't going in he's worth absolutely nothing on the court and the worst part is is that he's not even shooting he just seems so completely either in his own head or or maybe he's doing out of passive aggression you know to Julius or something like I don't know what the deal is but it seems like he gets the ball in decent spots so often and then just passes it up. And it's like, well, what did you just get all this money for? I thought you were supposed to be like the gunner. 
you're supposed to be the guy that does this. You know, you're supposed to be the guy that can hit shots when they're open. And instead, he's just completely tentative. He's like a he's like a cat that got scared and ran under the bed. You know, like I just I don't understand what's going on with Fournier. That's probably my biggest big picture thing right now that I've been thinking about over these last couple games that is really starting to worry me on like a, a a longer term basis than just like things that I think can get repaired. Like RJ sort of breaking his slump quickly, breaking his slump, you know, Randall finding his consistency. Cause we've seen those things happen, but the Fournier stuff, it, it's kind of seeming like all the worst things that we heard about him before he came to New York are basically what he's been so far. Yeah. And I mean, you, you look at Fournier's career and like the last two years and like this is what gave me so much confidence that in New York he was going to be amazing is that he had these hyper efficient seasons in Orlando in in an infrastructure that nominally like I, I think my case preseason was like this was the worst case scenario for him playing with four non shooters four or outside of Busevich, so like three non shooters most of the time. Um, nobody else who could really create shots for him. And now he's going to New York where he's going to get, um, again, what I was presuming at the time was prime Kemba Walker, Julius Randle coming off a near MVP season, RJ Barrett ready to make the leap. Like we're going to see this guy have like a 60% EFG this year. And instead, I think the inverse might be true where he was comfortable in Orlando because he got to be the guy. And it's very similar to what we've talked about with Julius Randle all year. There's like, even if the degree of difficulty is high for an NBA player, for anyone who makes it to that stage, there is so much empowerment in knowing like, hey, you're going to be the guy to take the shots. And even if you miss, even if you're out of rhythm, even if you're not playing that well defensively, like you're still going to get those shots. And that imbues players with like this, this sort of like effort attitude. And like it gives them an opportunity to work through their mistakes and really get into rhythm. And that that's again, that's that was the brilliance of Julius Randle last year. And I think Fournier is really missing that on this Knicks team where like when he misses a couple of shots, to your point, like he, he doesn't get to touch the ball and he doesn't get a lot of possessions like where he gets to dribble it out of the basketball. And you can tell like I think an underlying factor that we don't really talk about with this team because it's impossible for us to quantify is like, what is the resentment level that all these guys have for each other? And obviously like in the press, they're saying all the right things, but defensively, like all this stuff has to compound. Like when you see Julius, like, and not, not tonight necessarily or, or last night, but over the last few games, like jogging back time and time again, when you see Mitch half-assing it pretty constantly, when you see Fournier, like overhelping, like, and it's not always, always his fault. Sometimes he needs to, but like constantly overhelping, giving up open threes, like, and I think all of that carries over to offense when like someone like Fournier, he, he might be thinking to himself, I want to take like this pull up too, because that'll get me in rhythm, even if I miss it. But I can't do that because everyone's already pissed at me for my defense. So I just have to pass the ball. And I think like that stuff is so hard to categorize Alex, but I think it's a factor in, in how everyone's playing. Yeah, maybe we could talk about that in a second, because I've also been having some wonders about what is going on behind closed doors or Maybe more specifically, what isn't going on behind closed doors, uh, if maybe these guys are kind of bottling things up a little too much. But I want to just let everybody know first that today's episode is brought to you by Shopify. And I don't have the sound effect in there, but cha-ching. I love that sound. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. In case you don't know, Shopify is a complete commerce platform that lets you start, grow, and manage a business. The subscription-based software allows anyone to set up an online store and sell their products. Shopify store owners can also sell in physical locations using Shopify POS, our point-of-sale app, and accompanying hardware. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronized online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. 
Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility, and Shopify helps you make your entrepreneurial dreams come true. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Shopify powers over 1.7 million businesses from first sale to full scale, reaching customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. It allows you to gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. So go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA right now, shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Boy, do I need Truebill. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. These companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped save them over $100 million. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It can save you thousands a year, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. And with that, we are back on the Locked On Knicks podcast. Wanted to thank you again for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. But Alex, I'm going to throw it right over to you because I was going to let you get in on that idea that um, we probably don't know the full scope of the locker room issues that this team is having. And maybe maybe the lack of locker room issues is part of the problem. Are they even having these conversations that seem necessary to sort out whatever's going on? Yeah, and maybe that's part of like the downside of the way that things still are thanks to COVID you know, restrictions. Not to say that I believe that things shouldn't be how they are because I think it keeps things safe, you know, not having all the reporters crowded in there and all that stuff minimizes COVID risk. I've, I've been in that locker room when it's like media scrum time. And it's, I mean, it was a lot of bodies in one room, you know, uh, when, when the Knicks would be at home and, you know, there would be all the cameras and the people and blah, blah, blah. But the one thing about that is, is that not that the players would be like, super animated or you know yelling at each other openly or anything like that but it was easier to get a mood around the team and like report on it in that way and I wonder if maybe the fact that there hasn't been any of those like stories that there usually is about oh the the Knicks locker room was somber oh you could see you know Randall staring daggers at Fournier or whatever you know it maybe the fact that there hasn't been that sort of reporting has been a little damaging this year because there's just been less reported about the actual like relationships and inner workings of the team. But on top of that, just the way that the Knicks have been playing lately, it just looks to me like they're, and this is me putting on my, you know, amateur sports psychologist hat instead of the Strickland hat. But like, it just looks to me like, they're not talking about things together first off on the court, because especially the starting unit just seems like they talk so little. Um, That was actually one pretty good thing about what Noel did in last night's game was it looked like he was kind of barking out assignments and making sure guys were in the right place when it's the regular starting unit out there. And even, even Taj, I didn't see a ton of it. It's just like, they don't talk. It's almost like they're 
I don't want to say that they're looking to make each other fail or something, but they're certainly not doing anything to help each other succeed. And, you know, also the way that they just sort of interact or lack thereof. Like, I feel like the younger guys still kind of seem like they love each other, you know, like RJ and OB and quickly and all them still kind of, you know, are, are the first ones to congratulate each other on the bench or, you know, rush up to meet each other at half court, that sort of thing. But, there just isn't that like overall team unity this year. It doesn't seem like, and, and I don't know what the reasoning is because like 80% of this team is back from last year. And maybe we're just remembering what it was like in wins. And now they're facing adversity and they're getting a little more moody about it, but it just, it, it seems like they're not communicating well with each other on the court. And I can only assume off the court because they're not even, you know, there was that exchange between Randall and Fournier that got caught on camera the other day that they got asked about. And I actually thought that was really healthy and go figure. They came out and they played a lot better in the second half after that happened. And you just don't see enough of that. There's not enough of these guys kind of holding each other accountable and getting each other's faces and stuff like that. And I, I kind of wish we would see more of that because as of right now, it just, it feels like this team is not communicating well and it really, really shows on the court. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, this is a very cliche like way to frame it, but it's, it's a team of individuals right now. Right. Mm. And it, I think, last year what brought the group together is that everyone was united by working their ass off defensively and like not giving a single inch on that end of the floor and like forever whatever you want to say about alfred payton and we, we've said every bad thing about alfred payton i'm not even gonna like say it in the sense that like oh wow he was he was, he was going hard every single game because we, we both know that's not true because that was that brought us a lot of uh, emotional suffering last year that he he didn't do that but that being said like it was just the fact that he could hold his own and you could rely on like like no one was dropping the rope last year and this year it feels like everyone is dropping the rope like randall on like one play like again whether it's not getting back or like overhelping or or fournier like miscommunicating with someone and giving up like duarte had, he had 12 points in the first quarter 17 points in the first half that was mostly on fournier and it's just it, it like it wasn't it wasn't all on fournier like some of it was team defense but it looked like it was on fournier and sometimes like perception is the problem and like rj in the back of his head is thinking like god like evan's got to get it together man like this this 30 year old rookie is, is torching him right now. Um, and I think I, I mean, it's what I said before. Like, I think that leaks over to offense. I think, I think that leaks over to everything. And then when you're like, when you're hitting shots, like they were the first six games of the year that can sort of cancel it out because that those feel good vibes are still there. And it's like, all right, the defense doesn't really matter. We're just going to bury other teams. When those shots stop falling, like you need that thing to fall back on. And last year it was like, everyone is going to be working so hard. And this year that it's just not there. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, it's it's mind-boggling. I, I don't know how they've taken such a step back. And, you know, I, I thought for a bit, and I still kind of think, like, the way that Kemba was playing or, or lack thereof definitely had something to do with how they were performing on defense and how they were acting to together to each other on defense. But, you know, now he's out of the equation and it's still happening. And Burks, you know, especially coming off the bench, had been – arguably the best defender on the team this year. And so you took you took out Kemba and you put in Burks, who would think, okay, things should come together, even if Fournier is a little below average. But it just seems like there's so much, yeah, just like unspoken tension in that starting lineup with how they're they're playing with each other or rather not playing with each other. You know, the, the way that they're just kind of playing me first basketball and almost looking – again, it it sounds weird to say, but it almost seems like on some plays they're sort of just like daring things to break down so that they can scapegoat someone else. 
Um, because, you know, there's so many plays where Randall, we see, I mean, there was one sequence in this game that I thought was one of the best defensive sequences I've seen from him all year. Like he, he caught Miles Turner uh, towards the corner and Turner tried to put it on the floor against him. Randall follows him all the way in, stays in front of him all the way up to right in front of the hoop. Uh, eventually forces Turner to, I don't know if Randall poked it away or if Turner just kind of like misdribbled it, but forces Turner to cough it up. And then Sabonis just so happens to be there, catches it and starts trying to curl around. And Randall had the wherewithal to like know where the ball was, see that Sabonis was going to be coming into his territory, you know, got himself in a good position and got a block on that play. And I thought that was such a great sequence from Randall. So we know that he's still capable of doing these things. He's still capable of reading another team and making good rotations and, you know, processing things at an elite level. And yet so many times we just kind of see him listlessly drift into the paint or whatever and leave his man open for three or, you know, listlessly sort of like take a switch when he doesn't have to and, you know, leave someone hanging out to dry and another open three. And it's just, it's bizarre. And I, you know, it almost makes me want to see what would happen if Fournier got the exact same treatment as Kemba and you essentially were just like rolling with the exact same team as last year, minus Elf and Bullock, but plus like Grimes and, you know, who uh, maybe bring Deuce in to the rotation or something like just fit in some like high energy, you know, players like the two rookies that can just sort of soak up some of those, you know, extra minutes left over by Fournier now leaving the rotation. And, and I'd be really curious to just see how that looks just to see if this is all just about Fournier and Kemba, or if this is something deeper where the Knicks have just sort of been fundamentally broken uh, on the inside at this point, which sounds really messed up, but like it's kind of how they play. That's the only way I could think of to describe how they've been doing this and how they've been having such inconsistent effort from game to game. Uh, Gavin, I'll let you respond to that in just a sec. I do just want to quickly let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by Stance. Uh, And, you know, I've been hearing a lot about Stance Apparel lately. They just launched this new line of active apparel, plus it's holiday gifting time. You know, Stance, I think, is one of the coolest gifts you can get. Who doesn't love a cool, I mean, obviously the most popular thing for them is those socks. And they're so cool. They're super colorful. They have cool designs, uh, super comfortable, and and just, you know, a a head turner that you can have on your feet that's not just your shoes. And uh, so I'm so I certainly have some on my Christmas list and hope to get some. But uh, founded in 2009, Stance Apparel represents a radical reinvention of socks, underwear, and active apparel. With a sharp focus on comfort, quality, and creativity, Stance brings an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in style and self-expression. Because everything you wear should be a direct extension of who you are and how you feel. I mean, I love some of their collaborations. They got some Batman collabs, Star Wars. Harry Potter, I'm a big Harry Potter guy, Disney, Marvel, uh, and, of course, the MLB and the NBA. I'm a huge, you know, as a Mets fan, their official stocks, uh, stocks, socks are stance. Uh, and I love the ones that they wear during the games that have the Mets logo and the, the skyline on them. Again, definitely on my Christmas list for this year. I hope I get some because I've seen them before. I've, I've got my hands on them in stores, and they feel super, super comfortable thick without being too thick, you know, just really nice to wear around all day. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in, that those who feel good do good. Go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and get 15% off your first purchase. 
and use promo code locked on at checkout to apply that 15% off. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. All right, and we're back. Gavin, I'm going to throw it to you to get a little get a little word in edgewise on where I ended that last segment about uh about just maybe Fournier needs to take a seat now. Like, I don't know, do you see any other potential easy solutions to maybe try to light a spark in this team? Yeah, so I think that's the issue is like none of these solutions are easy. And like as a fan, like like look, I'm 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 like I'm not looking down on anyone else. I'm very prone to this also. Like I, I I'm at different points this year. I'm like, all right, it's obvious, like anytime Randall doesn't run back, just bench him. Anytime Fournier like blows a switch, like sit him down. And and what what are the alternatives, right? You put in like I mean, earlier in the year it was Burks for Fournier, or you put in Obi for Randall, or like now we're saying like maybe put in Deuce or Grimes for Fournier. And it's like, yeah, maybe the like maybe they'll bring a little bit more effort and energy. Maybe that'll reinvigorate everyone else. But then Julius like does all this hard work. He draws a double team, and he can either kick it to like Evan Fournier, who like for all the struggles this year is still like a professional scorer, like one of the best three point shooters on planet Earth, someone who can attack a closeout. Or, or Grimes or Deuce, who can maybe hit an open three, who like Deuce had a nice little drive when he got in for three minutes at the end of the game. Maybe Deuce can get to the rim a little bit. But those guys are not Evan Fournier offensively. Even even if this is like a 20-game stretch of crap for Fournier, like he's still a guy who is a 20-point scorer in the NBA. And the other two guys are rookies. And like it, it's like it's so clean to say, like, hey, put in the guys who are going to play their asses off. But the reason Tibbs doesn't do that is because like, you're giving something up on offense. And like same with like with Randall out there, like it's fantastic to have Obi. And we've seen like the effect that Obi has on everyone else, like what he does in transition. Like what was it tonight? He had like 13 points in his first 17 minutes. Like that's ridiculous efficiency. But at the same time, Julius Randall, like when everything is going wrong, he's the one guy you can throw the ball to and say, get a bucket. And he hasn't been super efficient at that, but at least he has a chance. Like you throw the ball to Obi and say, get a bucket. Like not, not much is going to happen. So I, I empathize with Tibbs and I, I think, I mean, a lot of this comes down to, I mean, again, like it's, I want to say it's roster construction, but it, it's hard to like scream at the front office because we were so excited and so on board. Like once like the full plan came to fruition and they got Kemba and they got Fournier, you and I were like, and everyone else was like, oh, they, they hit a home run. This was picture perfect. And it just turns out those guys aren't who we thought they were. And that might just not be something a team can survive. Like when your two biggest signings that were supposed to change the trajectory of your team are borderline unplayable. Yeah. I mean, obviously the biggest disappointment is Kemba yeah you know I, I like we were talking ourselves into oh if you can even get 80 percent of what he was at his best in Charlotte or even at his best in Boston I mean then that's a plenty good player and would definitely be an upgrade overall for Peyton unfortunately what we got was like 50 <laughs> percent you know at best I mean and with all of the worst parts accentuated you know the the fact that he just didn't seem to have consistent bursts to get to the rim anymore. The fact that he seemed just like everybody, a little tentative about shooting the ball. He seemed really tentative about sort of running the offense. Um, you know, obviously the defense was just really, really, really bad. And we're sort of seeing that with Fournier too, where it's just like, how, how is he ended up being like the, the absolute worst of, of everything that we heard about him coming in. It, it reminds me a lot of like, as a, you know, I was just talking about Mets socks, like as a Mets fan, like that's how things have always worked for the Mets. You know, you could have a player that plays super, super good. Like, I'm not going to lie. They just had like the coup of the off season and signed Max Scherzer. And my first thought was like, well, since he just signed with the Mets, I'm sure he's going to get like a five ERA next year and go like <laughs> six and 18 because that's just what happens. And it, 
it almost feels that way with with the Knicks this year. Like it's just like, okay, they finally sort of had, I wouldn't call it a star-studded free agency, but certainly one that felt successful. And you get this this first successful free agency where you didn't go super crazy with overpaying people or anything. The reality is they're still paying kind of basically nothing. Um, They're paying Fournier a a somewhat substantial sum of money, but it's not like they gave him even Randall money, you know, like 25 million a year or something like that. It's 18. It's not the best contract, but certainly not the worst, you know, but they're, they're both just like completely falling apart at the seams. And I don't want to fully pass judgment on Fournier at this stage because we were saying the same sort of stuff about Julius Randall, his first year with the team about like, Oh, he's terrible. You know, he's a turnover machine. Get him off the court. Play Portis, you know, whatever. Like, play whoever else. Play Knox at the four. Just get Randall the hell out of here. Like, we don't want anything to do with him. Ready to ship him off for a second-round pick at the start of his second season with the team. And, you know, then he's turned into what he has. But it just feels different with Fournier because he's already at a pretty advanced stage of his career. You know, it feels like the growth is pretty much done at this point. And if we're now starting to see the downturn of his career, then maybe it would be best to just sort of get ahead of it. And, you know, even if Grimes isn't ready to be Evan Fournier yet on offense, you know, maybe he's ready to be a 75% Reggie Bullock or something. And if that's the case, like Reggie Bullock was pretty damn good for this team last year for all of his flaws. And Grimes already, I think, can handle the ball better than Reggie ever could. So maybe you just kind of take your chances and say, all right, knowing what we know about Grimes and how good of a shooter he is, maybe we could get 35% out of him and he'll be a little more careful with the ball. And on the other end, he's not going to shoot us in the foot. Like Fournier just is night in, night out. And maybe some of Grimes' energy would be, you know, transferable. Now it's it's easier said than done. You know, you don't necessarily want to start him right away, but I think my solution at this point, even if you just try it for a game or two, would just be, sit down Fournier, give him the camera treatment for like a game, maybe two, even though that's going to hurt his ego and, you know, maybe be a little bit of a shock internally with the team and throw quickly in the starting lineup, you know, have Grimes come off the bench and quickly spot for 15 minutes or so. And maybe, you know, give quickly some extra minutes and give Burke some extra minutes and try to see what can become of that. Because it's just at this point, I I'm just, I'm totally out on the Evan Fournier experience at this particular moment in time. And I feel like with Kemba, it's sort of just an acknowledgement of like, I don't think you really have it anymore. With Fournier, I think there kind of just needs to be almost like a reality check, like what he did with RJ and and Mitch the other day. Even though he's an older player, so he shouldn't need those sort of reality checks. But I think there just needs to be something to the effect of like, what you're doing isn't acceptable anymore. And we need to try something different because you singularly almost are getting us into some of these holes early in these games by being so tentative on offense and being so exploitable on defense uh, that you're giving up like 17 points in a quarter to a rookie. Um, so, or 17 points and a half rather to a rookie, but whatever. Uh, so that's where I'm at. Like you said, though, there's no easy explanation. I just think that that's, that's where my brain's at after this game. And in a big picture sense, maybe Fournier just ends up sort of being, a trade fodder by the trade deadline this year. And you just sort of get what you can for him. If this really, really, really didn't work out. Cause I'm sure he'll still have at least some marginal value in the league, you know, for uh, he went for what a first round pick last year. So I think two it, seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, maybe you get a second round pick or two for him this year. 
and can at least clear the books and, you know, sign them into a team that needs shooting more and get maybe just a wing or something that can play yeah. off the bench for you. But I keep thinking I, I the Pistons. Know. That's like the one team that like maybe could use them. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, but they, I, I feel like they're not really a likely Evan Fournier team. I feel like a team that would probably go after him would be someone like the Warriors or something, you know, just be like, yeah. let's just get some more shooting. And like, because they're the Warriors, he'll of course go there and shoot like 75% from three for the rest of the year and like win finals MVP or something. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I feel like there's got to be some sort of suitor out there if things continue not working with the Knicks where you can find a new home for him. Though I, I certainly I'm not rooting for it not to work out, but just at this point, it's just gotten so bad that I almost think that that's where we're headed. Yeah, I almost think they might have to attach an asset at this point. It was like that contract looks like to your point, not in not an albatross, but if he doesn't, if he keeps playing like that. And the thing is, like, look, we just have like too large of a sample size of him being like the very least a very good offensive player for this to go on indefinitely. But could be a while. All right. Um, I figured we could wrap up maybe just going like rapid fire, like some quick thoughts on individuals in this game. Um, we, we, can, we can, yeah. Okay. All right. And, and that's it. Thank you so much for walking up on YouTube. Um, no, uh, very fast. Uh, I thought, because I thought, I thought I did think Ovi played a good game. I'm still like his jumper, like bugs me that I, I really thought he turned a corner on it in summer league and he just still doesn't look super confident shooting from three. He did make one, but, um, but again, just just the raw speed from Obi is is always fun. Like that play where I, this is probably my my one of my two favorite plays of the game, um, where Mitch just destroyed a Karis Levert floater. Derek Rose recovered the ball, and Obi just like he's just shot out of a cannon. And it's it really is like um, I think it was Tom Piccolo who like framed it on Twitter this way. Like he, he calls him like a wide receiver one with how like and quickly it's just like his quarterback throwing him lobs down the field. It really is like kind of like Tyree Kill esque or like like name your like favorite speedster wide receiver. He just takes off and you're like, oh, just no one's stopping that guy or beating that guy down the field, down the court in a straight line. So that's that's a lot of fun. There was another really nice play involving Obi. I think this was in the fourth quarter. Burks got doubled. He he threw Obi like like a hook over the top slip pass. Obi had like a like jumped in the air, double pump, slung it out to Rose, Rose extra pass to IQ, straight on three. Uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. And I was, I was like the little reminders that Obi's a really good passer. Again, if, if he was in a context where he could play more than 17 minutes a night, I think that's something we would be reminded of. Uh, Derek Rose, not a great game for him, but had an absolutely nasty crossover on Miles Turner, where Turner was like, he, Turner looked drunk after he was like staggering backwards. And then Rose made a floater. RJ, good start shooting the basketball, like hit a couple threes. That was just encouraging to see that, uh, the finishing still was not all that great. Alec Burks, as always, uh, pretty, pretty solid, right? Like you just, you can't like, he wasn't amazing. Like he didn't record an assist in this game, which is bad for your, your quote unquote starting point card, even though he doesn't really play that position. Um, and then I, I really have nothing else positive to say outside of that. So I will, uh, I will just quickly, uh, shout out, uh, Chris Duarte and Malcolm Brogdon, both really impressed me in the Pacers. The Pacers like, um, to some extent, like obviously it was mostly the Knicks being really bad on defense, but they look like really, really good. To, they, they look like a legitimately good teams that maybe, maybe they had a fire lit under them by their whole team being on the trading block or, or it could have just been that they were playing the Knicks. Yeah. I got to give Duarte props to like for, uh, putting the blonde tips on his hair because otherwise we would have a very like, uh, Kenyon Martin, Carmelo Anthony, like two guys that look exactly the same from TV distance on the court with him and Brogdon because once or twice I was like, oh, there's Brogdon. Oh, wait, no, there's the hair. That's Duarte and vice versa because they oh. they just look very similar on the court. Um, 
whoever yeah. the Pacers play-by-play guy is just at, like came up to him with a Sharpie before the game and added it. Yeah. Like, excuse me, Chris, we're going to, I scheduled you an appointment to dye the top of your hair. Uh, yeah. So you're going to need that to rock that for the whole season or else, you know, I'm going to be calling you Brogdon all season. Um, yeah. As far as Knicks guys, I mean, I was not totally joking when I just said, I thought they all sucked. Um, Obi was obviously awesome. The through the legs dunk was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a, in a basketball game. Um, you know, just like in the course of a game, uh, that was sick. Cool. Very happy for him for that. I thought that he had a great game otherwise, and was probably the only guy that I would say that about, um, quickly, you know, wasn't making great decisions with, you know, when to shoot and just had that, that reluctancy to him. That was sort of like what I'm talking about with Fournier too, but it seems less earned with quickly because I just feel like quickly should just keep firing. Normally he does. Uh, so it's always weird when he gets like that. Rose, I, you know, I agree. I don't think he had a particularly great game. Um, RJ, I really liked on offense, so I hope that that continues, you know, happening where he continues being as good as he has been. But on defense, I thought he looked terrible. I mean, he was getting burned by Levert almost as much as Fournier was getting burned by Duarte at times in this game. Uh, and Levert wound up going for 15 also. And... uh yeah, Randall, I thought, you know, it was all fits and spurts with him. You know, sometimes he was putting in maximum effort, like that defensive play I said before. Sometimes he was doing nothing. Taj Gibson was like a basically a nothing in the starting spot, which is not something that often happens for him. Uh, Mitch, I thought, had a really crappy game. You know, looked really uninvolved after looking so good last night, which that was really, really disappointing as well because this is sort of like, other than Miles Turner, who like, didn't go mega crazy from three. He shot three of seven, but certainly better than like the seven of 10 last time. This is sort of like a team that is built around bigs that should be an easier matchup for Mitch and should allow him to showcase those rebounding chops and everything else. And he just didn't do much of anything with the minutes he was given. Um, And yeah, that's it. I don't know. I hated this game. I hate this team right at this particular moment. They're not fun to watch uh, when they play like this. So, We'll just let it go for now. They've uh, now got a game coming up on Friday against the Raptors, who obviously I I can't wait to see what kind of YouTube comments we get this time. You know, last time around, the Knicks were heavily favored going up against the Raptors uh, and got their butts handed to them. And then we got called homers and idiots by Raptors fans for thinking (laughs) that a Raptors team without like their top three players shouldn't have beaten the Knicks at that stage. This time around, I would not be surprised at all if the Raptors beat the Knicks by like 30 points because the Knicks are not playing like they deserve to win any basketball games right now other than a select few. So we'll see what happens, but they better get their stuff together. Another game on the road on Friday. We'll be back with another pod covering that. Uh, But until next time, I'm Alex Wolf. He's Gavin Shaw. This has been Locked On Knicks. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon.